Amen. Let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we come praying to the God who reigns. The one who is over all things, the one who is above all things, the one who is to be worshipped, the one who is to be glorified, Amen. the one who is worthy alone of glory. And we are not to give your glory to another, but only you and you alone we are to worship. And so we come this morning and I pray and we pray together that we would do just that, Lord. That we would worship you. We wouldn't hit the pause button as we pray or as we read scripture, or as we uh, sing various songs and hymns, as we now turn to your word, that our worship would continue. And it would continue right into our time of response. And it would continue right out the doors as well as we go into our day and the rest of the day and into the week. Help us to indeed glorify your name as those who were made for your glory. Amen. And help us, Lord, this morning that you would work in our hearts and cast away any idols or anything that we are putting above you or treasuring above you and above Christ, may we look to your Son this morning as our all in all, as our treasure above all treasures. And so help us glory in the one who is our mediator between God and man, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our life. May he be our life this morning that if there's someone here who does not know Christ, that they may come to Christ this morning. And they would find life for the first time in him. And for us who do know Christ this morning, may we just simply say, Lord, our life is in your hands. You're the one who reigns over all things. And whatever comes in this world, we trust in you. And so be with us, we ask, Father, now as we turn to your word, may you help it be clear to us. May you help it to be received wholly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, which we've been in these now many months now. And we're going to continue in the Gospel of John with... Our next set of verses here, and we're in chapter 8, so this morning we'll be in chapter 8, verse 48 through 59, and we'll be finishing off chapter 8 this morning. So when I was younger, I remember, you know, especially when I was going through, you know, 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, you know, and walking through those various grades, that those, those were very uh, memorable in my mind because you would go to school often with a, a great tension all about about you a great sense of unease you know and I, I grew up in going to public school and so going and, and this just this sense of angst as you 
go to school. Why is that? Well, you never knew what would happen. You know, without fail, almost every day someone would, you know, be making fun of someone else or there'd be someone bullying someone else or, you know, there'd be fights almost everywhere, almost daily even. And so in the midst of all this, it seemed like, you know, everyone was on edge and at any moment, you know, you know, something could break out. And it often did. I remember many times I'd be just walking down the hallway and there would be this commotion and this great crowd of people would gather around two people and either they are verbally, you know, exchanging words and or they are just all out fighting one another. And so there was a great tension about it. Well, as we come to our passage this morning, there is a tension about it here as well. There is a high level of angst here. Like at any moment, as the dialogue continues, things could explode. And as we will see here in just a second, they really kind of did eventually do just that. So let's see this then as we read our passage here in chapter 8, verse 48 through 59, continuing where we left off from our verses from last week. So may God bless the reading of his word this morning. Amen. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Amen. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Amen. Now, as we've been pressing on here in the latter half of chapter 8, we've been kind of looking in on this dialogue between the Jews and Jesus. And we've seen this kind of conversation. It moved from really a basically a rather civil conversation to 
now name calling, emotions flaring. When it's all said and done, they will very literally be ready to kill Jesus. Talk about tension. <laughs> Talk about angst and kind of a growing tension here. We're seeing it right here in these verses. Now, as we look at these verses, on the one hand, from perhaps like a fleshly perspective and a, you know, like a perspective from this world or even a perspective from like not looking at it from God's perspective and even a sinful kind of perspective, we can kind of partly see why the Jews here are so upset with Jesus. So consider what Jesus has just told them in chapter 8. Verse 31 through 47, which we looked at last week. So the Jews, uh, they said to Jesus, you know, we're free. We're not slaves to anybody. And then Jesus says, you're not free. You are slaves to sin. I mean, that right there, whoa, <laughs> that would be a shock for them. And then they go on and they say, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, no, no, he is not your father. And then they go on and continue and they say, well, then God is our father. And then Jesus, he, he comes and he returns to them and he says, returns by saying, no, neither Abraham nor God is your father. Your father is the devil. You are not of God. So they hear all this and they are upset. <laughs> And so that's kind of the fleshly perspective. You can see why they're getting a little upset here of what he's saying. Now, on the other hand, Jesus is 100% right. And not just that. Jesus' words here, they are not, they're not mean. <laughs> and they're not, they're not, he's not going around intentionally kind of putting up his his dukes, as he used to say, and kind of looking for a fight. He is, even here, he's speaking to them words of truth for their good. And yet, to all this, you know, kind of thinking of even like the Pharaoh and Exodus, you know, the plagues come and Moses goes to him and then the plagues come and his heart continues to do what? It continues to get hardened. Well, I think that's what we see here as well. They hear Jesus' words and their hearts get hardened and they, they won't and they don't hear him. And so his words, even though they don't take them this way, they are merciful words. Like, like he's even said that he is the light of the world. They're like light in the midst of their darkness. He's trying, he's trying to pierce through that darkness and say, I am the light of the world. See, this is true. So they are merciful words. So here, in fact, the danger is in not considering his words, which is exactly what they do. And so they don't really consider what he is saying here. Now we saw in our previous verses, so we saw last week, these Jews, they aren't believers. They don't know God. They, 
They have somehow, you know, in verse 30, we saw as, we, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And so in some way, they were saying that they had believed. But it's very plain that they do not know God. They do not know Jesus. And so ensues the verses that we have here this morning in our passage. And so contrary to what they say of Jesus here, we don't see a man that we can't trust nor the depth of a misled heart, like he is deceived, he's misled, he doesn't know what he's talking about, as they're contending that he is, he's misled, he's a deceiver even. We don't see that of Jesus here, but what we see is we see his or Jesus' great heart. His great heart. So verses 48 to 57. So in the book... The Pilgrim's Progress, and if you haven't had the opportunity to read that book, it's well worth your reading of it. I think it's been said that it's the second most uh, published book in the world historically, second to what? The Bible. And so it's well worth your time to read. Well, in The Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, he writes in this book an allegory of the Christian faith. And so it's basically a story, and, and maybe one way to think of it today is like the Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you probably have seen that. Well, it's very similar in that way. It's saying here are th some things, Aslan and so on, like Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan. This is representing Jesus and, and those kind of things. And well, in the Pilgrim's Progress, this is a story of the Christian's pilgrimage in the world in story form. So along the way in this allegory, the main character, Christian, he meets you know, various people with each person's name kind of characterizing that person. So let me give you a few examples. So he meets people like evangelist. So you get that, what that person's about. It's pretty clear. He's not making it confusing there. And then another one he meets is obstinate. And you get kind of what that person's going to be about. And then worldly wise man, if you know where he's going with that guy. And then another one, faithful as well. And so you kind of get an, 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 um, a, an idea of what he's after with each person that he walks through. Along with all these, you meet a character named Mr. Greatheart. So this, this man, he is gentle, he's humble, he tells the truth, he is sincere. He directs people to the truth, to Christ. Well, Jesus, he is gentle. He is humble. He is the truth. He is sincere. And he has the greatest heart of all. So we see his great heart here. Yet this isn't what the Jews are saying about Jesus here, are they? They're saying really exactly the opposite. They are despising him. They are despising his words. And they consider Jesus, and they're even setting him forth for everyone around. They're saying that this person, he is anything but good. He does not have a good heart. So what do they then resort to doing in verse 48? Well, they resort to name-calling. So 
Jesus' words, they had certainly struck a chord with them, and they do not like it. Well, you are a Samaritan, and you know what? You have a demon in you. So they, they are dishonoring him. So if you remember, back in chapter 4, we met the Samaritan woman there. We learned that the Jews thought that the Samaritans were the scum of the earth, right? They were worthless. They were despised in their eyes. They were even to be shunned. And so they are saying that that's what you are, Jesus. You're like that. That's how we see you right now. And so you see how they're not, they're saying anything but he is a man like of great good heart. But they don't leave it there. They also say that he is demon-possessed. And so they're essentially saying, this man is not only not of God, which is ironic because he's saying that of them, but he's demon-possessed and he's a totally aligned with the devil. And so again, we see an irony here, don't we? Jesus told them that their father is the devil and now like children, you know, and I've seen this with my, my children, you know, kind of like, oh, no, I'm not. You are, you know, and I'm sure you've heard that if you have children. I'm sure not even just that. I'm sure you've done that probably as well. Not me, you, you know, you know, and goes back and forth. Well, that's what they're doing here. They're saying, we're not children of the devil. You're a child of the devil, you know, and, it, and it, so they're really kind of bearing down on him. But the problem with all this name calling is that it couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus' heart is a heart aimed entirely at honoring the Father. Hence, in all things, seeing his great heart and even giving us an understanding of what his great heart is and looks like, what does this great heart do? He glorifies the Father. He glorifies the Father. So Jesus, he does not seek his own glory. He doesn't seek glory for himself. He is seeking to honor, to glorify, to make much of the Father. So his heart is aimed towards the Father in all things. So as he eats the Father, as he, as he drinks, as he has fun, as he laughs, as he cries, as he plays, and yes, you can play to the glory of God. He does that, and as he goes about his day, he does all these things in honor of the Father, and there's no conflict there whatsoever. Now, this is perhaps something of a com combating against the idea we have of someone who's really, really godly. We think, well, that person right there, they're always going to be somber and serious. And if you find joy, you might get, I mean, you'd be surprised, you know. They never smile, you know, that kind of person. Well, that's, that's not what Jesus was. He is and he was the most joyful man that you would ever meet. People would have wanted to be around Jesus. And that's what we see in the Gospels. They flock to him. They want to be around Jesus. So don't get in your mind, well, he's glorifying the Father. Well, that just means He's like very somber, had his hands together all the time. He maybe has a robe on and walks like this, you know. That's not 
the idea that we need to have of Jesus, nor of what it means to be a Christian. And so, we'd be right then to let this heart of his direct us to question what or who are we seeking to make much of and glorify. So he has the great heart. And we are to have that kind of heart. So who are we seeking to make much of or glorify? And so I, I read this last week as well, but I want to read it again because we see in kind of a, an aspect of this here, but from Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So you, you could be ethnically Jewish, but not truly Jewish. So that's what Paul is saying there. And then he goes on and defines it more. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So you see kind of the connection there with this? So Jesus, he is defending his words. He's saying he isn't seeking his own glory. Yet another irony here, not Jesus but the Jews are those who are seeking praise from man and not from God. And that's what we see everywhere throughout the Gospels. Hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. You're seeking the praise of men and not God. You want their reward and not his reward. So again and again and again, this praise is not from man but from God. And so... Here we see that these Jews are seeking the praises of men and not from God. And so they aren't true Jews. True Jews would be seeking God's praise and not men's. Amen. So in view of all this, I'll set this question before us as well. Is your praise from men or from God? Or even when your heart you know, beats its last, will you be looking back and thinking, man, I wish I would have gained more praise for myself. And you may, you may, you may be thinking that, well, yeah, I want praise from people. I want my name on some historical textbook. I want to be out there. I want people to praise me. But wow, that's not where life is. That is not where life is. Or even you want to come to your, your deathbed and say, man, would you come there and say, man, I wish I had lived more for the praises of men. You know, I think for us as believers, our answer would be surely not. Surely not. And so the great heart is a heart that is Godward in trajectory. That's what I want. I want his name to be lifted high. That if anything, that's what people would get from my life as a period. Like we just saying, glorify thy name. Amen. And so this is also why though, why Jesus, he is not undone when they don't give him glory. They can despise him. They can say all kinds of false things about him, but he's not undone. 
Why? Because he isn't seeking after their glory ultimately, is he? He is seeking after the Father's glory. And in the same way that Jesus isn't seeking after ultimately their glory, but that the, the, the Father would be glorified, this is the way that we aren't undone either. So the famous composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, he would place at the head of all of his compositions the initials J.J. or Jesus Javu, which means Jesus help me, or even an exclamation point, Jesus help me. And then at the end of each of his compositions, he wrote S-D-G, or Soli Dia Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Well, as far as I know, none of us here are composers, but this is what it looks like to be Godward, except we aren't writing these words over like a music composition, but we're writing these words over our lives. And so our mornings begin with J, uh, J, uh, J, J, Jesus, help me. And then our nights end with S, D, G, to God alone be the glory. And that's the same way the beginning of our Christian life J.J., Jesus, help me at the end of our lives in this world to God alone be the glory. Amen. So like Jesus then, this is to be the Godward kind of melody of our lives. Yes, imperfect. Yes, we're a mess. Yes, we're sinners. But in all that, who gets the glory in helping us through it all? He does. And we just say to that, praise the Lord, amen. May it ever be so. Amen. And so his, his great heart is seen there and his great heart is also exhibited in that he knows the Father. He knows the Father. So verse 55, it says, You have not known me or known him. I know him. And so the great heart is found here. So he maligned Jesus, saying that his heart is filled with deceptions and lies, while the truth is that he is anything but against God. He isn't contrary to God, but he knows the Father, and it is they who do not know the Father. Now, sure, now you, can, you can find those in this world who don't know God and they have done great things, right? I mean, you might look at men and women with the Nobel Peace Prize, men and women whose names are indeed in textbook after textbook who have biographies written about them. They have movies made depicting their lives. Yet, if they lack this one thing, knowing God what do they lack? Everything. They lack everything. It's all loss. All filthy rags. 
And so the great heart is a heart that knows God, even if no one knows them. No one ever knows your name. That's not a category for not having a great heart. Glorify him. So knowing God means he knows you and he is forming in you hearts and minds and lives that are great because you know him who is great. So you show me you know, any great man or woman of God and they won't declare to you their greatness, but whose greatness will they point you to? Yeah, to God again and again. Any godly man or godly woman, that's how they got that way. Their hearts are great because they're all about him. They will point you to the one thing needful, knowing God and that through Christ, their treasure. And so we see it there in knowing the Father and then his great heart is also seen and that he is genuine. He is genuine. So verse 55, again, Jesus says, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. So they doubt him. They doubt his words. They even say false things about him, which is exactly like their father, right? Yet Jesus is no liar. He really knows the Father, and he really keeps his word. So he is, he is genuine. His heart is great through and through. And so in view of all of these, know then that you can trust his heart. You can trust his heart. And so the devil will try to get you to doubt this, to doubt Jesus, to question Jesus and wonder about Jesus if he's really true, if he's really what he says he is, and so on and so on. If he really will do as he said he will do, well, let me tell you, whatever you're going through or whatever you may go through, know this, you can trust his heart. Amen. And maybe, maybe you're, you've encountered, you know, you're not someone who is unfamiliar with trials. You've encountered some, some storms, even perhaps many storms in your life, you know. I've had my share of storms, you know, these dark clouds where the rain kind of pours down and everything is everything but clear. You know what I'm saying? Well, one thing I found, and perhaps you have as well, is that Although the clouds and their darkness may be great in those times, in those trials, in those struggles, even in, as the rain falls behind the dark clouds and all the rain, there is still what? There is still, in the physical world, the S-U-N, the sun. Well, so also behind the clouds of life, we can trust his heart that behind the clouds of struggle and trial and the things that we're facing also remains the sun, S-O-N, as well. He is there, and you can trust his heart. 
And this, this whole point, this makes verse 51 all the more palatable. All the more trustworthy. All the more true. What does he say there? He says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Amen. Jesus is no deceiver. He is good. And his heart is good. And this is wondrous news that though you die, you live if you know Christ. Amen. 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 And that point right there takes us right into the rest of our passage, which comes and substantiates this verse all the more. And so here, reach the point where, remember all that tension that we saw that was kind of there and kind of growing throughout? Well, now, <laughs> it is boiling and it's boiling over. And so they grab Jesus' words here in verse 51, and they can't understand how what he is saying is possible. Like, what in the world do you mean by that? And so they essentially say in verse 52, you definitely have a demon now. We know you do, having heard what you just said in verse 51, because Abraham and the prophets died. Yet you're saying those who keep your word will never die. Who are you? So here is his incredible answer. He is the great I am. He is the great I am. And so Abraham, Jesus talks about him here. and He talks about how Abraham rejoiced that he would see this day. What day is that? It's Jesus' day. Abraham rejoiced that those promises that God made of Abraham, you know, and offering up his own only son, they would come to their fulfillment in the fall and its brokenness and the, the promise of offspring, all these things and the, the fall and the sin and everything else, all that would one day be undone. And so the, through the eyes of faith, Abraham, he saw it he may not have known how all of it was going to work out, like all the details and everything else, but he saw it, and now it is here. He is here, the offspring of Abraham. And so this connects us then, and Paul even helps us here in Galatians 3.16 to kind of even fill in what we're seeing here, what Jesus is saying. So Paul, he says, of that promise God made to Abraham in Genesis. He says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. So that's Genesis 12, Genesis 15. And then he, clear, he goes on, he says, And it does not say, and to offsprings, like plural, referring to many, referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. Amen. So Jesus is pointing to this and, and Abraham is even seeing this and 
And now here is that offspring. And they don't understand any of that. <laughs> You're too young. You know, that's the reply to all, to all of these things. But oh, he is, he is surely not too young. This is him who is glorified by the Father. Verse 54 and verse 50. Verse 50, it says there that the Father seeks it, like seeks to glorify the Son, and he is the judge. And then verse 54, it is my Father who glorifies me. So no, no mere human receives this kind of glory. This is a glory that is reserved for God and God only. God says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Yet who is glorifying the Son? And so here he is who is glorified by the Father. So it is that here is him who was before Abraham and before everyone. So in his humanity, yes, he is not yet 50 years old. But in his divinity, he is eternal and infinite. And so it is that, that Jesus says these powerful words here in verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So here is him who is the great I am of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. What in the world happened there? Well, Moses meeting with God in the burning bush. And what did God tell Moses there? Out of the burning bush, he says, I who I am who I am, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So here is that I am. The I am of Exodus 3.14 is the I am of John chapter 8, verse 58. Amen. So here is him who is say. That is, he is from himself. He is self-existent. He is eternally begotten of the Father. He is holy and completely God. And so here, all the statements, statements of John, they are coming together. The ones that are before, that we've walked through already, and the ones that are getting ready to come in many verses as well to come hereafter. What was hinted at again and again throughout the Gospel of John is now made plain. Here is the great I am, the eternal Son of God. Thus, Jesus has said, and he will say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am 
the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Amen. And many more. John again and again, ego me, ego me. That's the LXX or the Septuagint's way of I am again and again in the Gospel of John. And so now they hear him say this and you have no doubt and they have no doubt what he is saying. Who are you? With an exclamation point they asked him. Well, now they know. And so they pick up stones. They know what he's doing. That's blasphemy if he's not God. But he is. And what's their intent? Kill that man. He is blaspheming God's word. But it wasn't time. And so Jesus, he just, he just leaves. <laughs> now I don't, I don't think here that Jesus, he is kind of like cowering away, you know? He's not like, oh man, I better get out of here. He's not doing that. He doesn't like run away, which would be hard to see, you know, depicting seeing Jesus running away in fear. I don't think he's doing that either. He's not ducking behind a wall. But I think what's going on here, and I believe what's going on here is God is, is sovereignly intervening here and somehow doesn't tell us perhaps something like Sodom, you know, trying to get into the, the house, you know, and with Lot there and the angels blind their eyes or perhaps Elisha and the Syrians and you can't see the chariots of fire, you know, but let me show you, you know. Well, here it's the reverse. And so perhaps they, uh, you know, God caused him to be hidden from their eyes and he just walks right through the midst of them. And so his hour would, would come, but it's not here yet. And so to all this, what can we say, you know? What can I say, but you are meant to hear from this gospel again and again. See, know, be assured, and know with certainty that you can trust him. You can trust him. Believe. Believe in this Messiah. Amen. This is the Messiah. You can believe that when the great I am says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And you can know that when he says that, he means it. Now, of course, he may not, he's not talking about physical death there. He's talking about life, even in the midst of death that comes. What, what an incredible calling for us to see what invincibility there is about those who know Christ. 
that though we die, we live. Though a thousand evils may come against you or against us, though armies may rise up, though nations may boil and fume over us, Christus, victor. Christ is the victor. And not just the victor, but he is our victor. So what can death do to you? Do to your spouse, do to your children if they know the Lord. And if death is no victor, then of whom shall you fear? Of whom shall you be afraid? Trust his heart. Trust in him. And saints, let's let's do it. Let's go out taking his word with us, boldly declaring Christ, boldly living for Christ, and boldly seeking to know him more and more. And if you are here and you don't know Christ this morning, this promise, it may be for you also, that though you die, you may live. You may have eternal life with God forever. And so if you don't know him this morning, know that Jesus, he came for you. He came for sinners which includes everybody in this room as well. He came to save you that you may live and have life evermore. So will you just believe him this morning? Will you trust in him this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we come. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the great I Am. We thank you that for us who do know Him, that what a Savior we have. Help us, Lord, as I know many perhaps are believers here and maybe they've been shaken in some way in their lives or perhaps they haven't been shaken and maybe they're depending a little too much on the things of this world to find joy in life. Or perhaps there's some sin that they have done or walked in or doing even now. Pray that you would help them and help all of us, Lord, right now to see that we can trust his heart. And we can trust him. And that would mean forsaking all idols, all sin, all false treasures, and living and loving and glorifying you, God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, by your Spirit. So, Father, do your work in your saints this morning that if they need to repent, they would do that. And they would run to Christ who comes with open arms and has open arms for them and just pray that you would lead them to see these things and pray that for those who maybe don't know the Lord this morning, pray that you would even now help them to see their need for Christ, his death 
for their sin, his burial, his resurrection for their sin and for sinners that he can save them today. So may they put their trust in Christ and they will have life evermore. So Father, we pray for your hand, pray for your grace as we respond to your word. Help us, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.